It's a pleasure to welcome you to IATL, the epicenter of the connected vehicle universe as of today. My name is Kerry Armstrong, and I'm the beneficiary of three or four positions that make this day a big day for me. First of all, I am part of Pope and Land Real Estate, which is the owner and developer of this park. And this is our first office building in the park, and uh, we are excited to see it done in time, and uh, very excited to have you all here for such a great event. Secondly, uh, I have the pleasure of being the chairman of the North Fulton Community Improvement District. For those of you who do not know what those are, it is a, a defined geographic district within a community or within a county where all of the commercial property owners voluntarily raise their property taxes, believe it or not, and use that money to make things possible that might not otherwise be possible financially. In the North Fulton CID, saw the impact and the value to our community along with the city of Alpharetta and many other communities and used our funding to jumpstart and kind of turbocharge the project so that every signal, and I think there are 55 within our district, has the full complement of technology that we'll be talking today, including that right up there. So it's a very exciting time from the CID's perspective. I'm also uh, fortunate to be the chairman of the Atlanta Regional Commission, which is the regional planning agency for several important disciplines uh, around our region. With regard to transportation, it's 20 counties in the metro Atlanta area. So to be a part of this initiative and to be a part of everything going on in the world of technology and public safety and transportation is, uh, is a huge part of our portfolio and we're very excited about that and several of our ARC colleagues will be here throughout the day. What else do I do? That's basically it. So as you can see, I'm a little selfish. Uh, today is a big day for me. It's probably big for a few of these other people like Brian and Bill and Winter, but who cares? It's about me. <laughs> uh, things are good. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in a happy place. Uh, we want to start this by collecting all the good-looking smart people we could find to have a panel of really esteemed experts on this general topical area and have a robust discussion amongst all of us about what's going on and what's next and how to do what we need to do. And so we're thrilled to have you all here to be a part of that. Uh, we'll have this panel uh, discussion this morning uh, and it's gonna be fairly freewheeling. And then later this afternoon, we'll have the official opening and, and uh, ribbon cutting and all of the formalities of opening up a great place. So we're excited uh, to be here. I'm flattered to be a part of it and grateful. And uh, with that, I'm gonna kinda clue you in on what's next. We're gonna work successively down the line here. Each of our panelists will have some remarks. They have been given orders that they each have 10 minutes. There's some sort of technology that electrifies the chairs when they, <laughs> as they get close to that deadline. Uh, but rather than take the time now to introduce each of them, I'm going to just e introduce each as it is their turn, and we're just going to work our way down the line. And uh, I will let each panelist speak as long as they want to, or as little, and use as much time as they wish to address questions. Uh, so don't be shy. We're all friends. Raise your hand if you have a question or have a comment you'd like to make. Please don't say anything that will hurt my feelings, because I'm on a roll this morning. <laughs> Our first panelist is uh, really one of the most well-known and, and widely respected community leaders in, our, in the entire metro region. Uh, Charla Nash is the chairman of the Gwinnett County Commission. Gwinnett County is the fastest growing county in the country, probably still. Who knows? Everybody brags about that now. 
but probably within the next 15 years, it'll be the largest county by population in the metro area. A very robust uh, community with lots of traffic signals. Uh, Charlotte also serves on the board of the Atlanta Regional Commission with me and chairs uh, a committee called the Transportation and Air Quality Committee, which is a very important lead committee in all of our efforts and certainly the lead committee with everything regarding transportation. So she wears both of those hats and uh, can fill you in from her perspective on what's going on. So I've known Charlotte for years and she is a dear friend, but most importantly, a, a very, very, very valued part of metropolitan Atlanta. So without any more, Charlotte, take it away. Well, good morning. I am not a morning person, so if I'm awake, y'all got to act like you are too, okay? It is a pleasure to be here today, and I could tell you some more stories about some other things related to Carrie Armstrong, but he and I have agreed that we will keep those kinds of stories out of the discussion today. We have mutual benefits from doing that, I think. It is an exciting thing to be part of today to know that we've got this kind of uh, initiative going on. The only better thing would have been if it were in Gwinnett County, but it's not far from the county line. And uh, the company that is uh, so much, uh, such a big part of this, of course, has location in, in Suwannee, which is in Gwinnett County. I won't belabor too much information about myself or, or Gwinnett County, but I'm going to give you just a tad because that will give you a, a taste of of kind of what I'm, the perspective from which I'm talking. I went to work for Gwinnett County as a staff person in July of 1977. There are many of you in this room who were not alive at that point. I see faces around. I uh, worked as a staff person for Gwinnett County for almost 28 years. I was county manager when I retired. I'd been in that position for nine years. Went away, retired, went away did a bunch of consulting work and worked with a number of private sector folks. I found out that big engineering companies have more bureaucracy than local government as I served as a sub to some big engineering companies. So that was, that was a tidbit that uh, I got to live through. Having a good time in the consulting world and as my husband puts it, I lost my mind and ran for office in 2011 and was elected commission chair. I've served in that role since then. Uh, and as a result of that, serving in other roles that uh, some of which uh, Carrie has shared with you. Gwinnett County is the second largest uh, county in terms of population in the state of Georgia. We are the largest provider of local government services in the state. And you say, how, how can that be? Well, we have 75% of our, of our county area and county population are not in a city. So in essence, we've got what would be the largest population uh, of the city with the largest population in our unincorporated area if it were an incorporated city. Uh, and then we have 16 cities that are wholly or partially within the county. Many services we provide countywide, uh, not just to unincorporated area. We function as, as in the traditional county role for one side of the operations, then we provide municipal-style services to the bulk of the county, fire and EMS, for example, is essentially countywide. Water and sewer, we essentially provide all of that. So you couple those two aspects together, we cover the waterfront in terms of local government. When I graduated from high school, we had about 80,000 people in the county. And as I tell my kids, that was not 200 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but it wasn't 200 years. So 
we have almost a million people now, probably around between 950,000 and 975,000 people. 25% of our folks were born outside the U.S. We benefit from uh, the broad range of perspectives that that type of, of population brings to us. And as I was sharing with some folks beforehand, we have not had the luxury to settle in and become a traditional government by any stretch of the imagination. With the kind of growth that we have experienced, the kind of change we've been through, we have had to be early adopters of technology and anything else that can help us provide services to that type of growing and changing population. My specific assignment today is to talk a little bit about why, why it's important for the public sector and the private sector to uh, be partners on this enterprise that we're looking at doing. And of course, I thought they thought I couldn't talk about anything really hard because that seemed self-evident to me. So I, my first response, Brian would say, oh, they think I can't talk about this. <laughs> topic, but uh, then, I, then thinking about some of the conversations we have, maybe that's not evident to everybody. But, you know, you got local governments and state government, and we've got somebody from DOT who's going to talk about from the state perspective. Roadways, the public sector owns the public roadway system. Most of the, the devices that are part of that roadway system are in the control and ownership of local governments. That's an important part of how we're going to apply this technology with connected vehicles. I understand, you know, vehicles are going to talk to each other, but it's also important that they be talking with the devices that uh, are part of that traffic control mechanism. And uh, we will eventually get there regardless of, of how we go about it. But if we do it in a coordinated fashion from the beginning, and it's going to make it a lot easier for everybody concerned. I don't know about y'all, but at my age, I'm all about let's, let's figure out the way that requires the less amount of energy in the long run. Let's, let's figure out how we can make it as easy for everybody as possible. We are in Gwinnett, we have a, a pilot project, or what I consider a pilot project, that runs the length of Peachtree Industrial Boulevard. That's about a 20-mile stretch of roadway. We're putting in connected technology that entire length. It starts northern Gwinnett as a two-lane road and goes all the way down to Peachtree Corners, multi-lanes most of the way, and goes through a multitude of, of uh, municipalities as it travels through Gwinnett County. That, that's, our, that's our pilot project, but we, don't see, we see that only as landing on the, the beach, so to speak. We're, we're planning to expand connected technology across our system. We know that there are things going on at the federal level that we help get sorted out uh, that will we'll, uh, ha perhaps have some influence on exactly how we go about it. But we see this as having immense potential from the public sector perspective. I see some friends from the fire department here for Gwinnett County, 75% of our fire and EMS calls are medical in nature, and that's not, that's not different across the percentage by very little bit, but medical emergencies are much more prevalent than anything to do with fire and other types of emergencies, and every second is crucial with that. So if we can get a medical, a trained uh, medical, a paramedic on site with the right sort of equipment, even 30 seconds faster. And certainly if you can shave a minute or two off of the time that they get there, then we're going to have a much better outcome for that. My folks have trained me well about that. 
that's one of the, the first aspects from, from our standpoint that we're really interested in this. Anything we can do to create a safer experience for the motoring public on our roadway systems. If we have any other elected officials here from a local government, you know road liability cases are expensive, they're ugly, and, and they consume a lot of time and energy because we have liability associated with the roadway system. So anything we can do to make it a safer experience not only makes it better for people in terms of their safety, but it also helps the pocketbook of the taxpayer. Running a transit system and hoping to expand that transit system here before too long considerably, uh, anything we can do to help the transit vehicles stay on time and move more efficiently through the congestion that's part of our lives just about anywhere in the metro Atlanta area. That's an important aspect of this. And I know that I'll, each of y'all can add things to the list, but those are the things that are most important and sort of our, our early objectives associated with adopting connected vehicle technology. I'm excited about it and I am looking forward to seeing how all of this plays out. And thanks to Brian and others for for deciding to make this thing happen. And that's it. I, I'm, you I done, left you tw 25 seconds. Well, actually, I, <laughs> I used less than five minutes of my 10. But I did that on purpose because I knew that Charlotte would tee this up perfectly. Uh, I want to show you a couple of slides about an initiative, an aspiration, if you will, for uh, Metro Atlanta. We came to a realization that we seem to be a little bit stuck Technology was advancing rapidly. There were lots of discussions and disagreements about types and styles and technologies and so forth. But the technology was there and could be used to the benefit of our citizens. And we began to think about that and also uh, had an understanding that the rest of the world wasn't certain that Georgia was in the game, that we were really committed to a broad range of technologies and it was all about ultimately the benefit to our citizens. So we began something called a, a CV1K initiative, had to change it to CV1K plus after a meeting with Charlotte. We realized that we could take, we could, if we worked collaboratively and got together, we could connect a thousand plus intersections in Metro Atlanta from the world's busiest airport to here, the epicenter of the connected vehicle universe. And uh, as we began to study that, we realized that we could come up with, if everybody worked together, a contiguous network of signals where every signal uh, sequentially was the same and we could have this technology available all across the region. And it was growable, it was future-proof, it was ready to go, and it, and it put the discussion of uh, what some people call the radio wars behind us. So we have all been working toward that goal, and it's coming together in bits and pieces. I know I have three slides. Show me another one. We had, after an initial meeting, uh, which we called sort of a summit, where we actually handpicked a group of folks, a smaller group than probably we should have, but we had to base it on the number of chairs in the conference room. And we said, hey, could we do this? If we put together these imperatives and work together along these imperatives, could we achieve this in, in quick order? The idea was, let's get out of the mire, let's get unstuck, and let's bring these benefits that are available straight to our citizens as fast as we possibly can. And as we began to beat that drum, we realized that so many communities and cities and counties who really control the traffic infrastructure along with the state, like Charlotte and Gwinnett County, 
were underway. They were trying to figure this out and had some ideas and had some things under the budget and we just decided to gang up on it and uh, tackle the initiative. So this initiative has been underway now for a while. The kickoff, I guess, really is right here uh, because we were able to use some CID money to jumpstart that uh, initiative. Have I done all my slides? How'd I do? So anyway, that's underway. A lot of the folks on the panel and others in the room have been involved in advancing this aspiration and uh, we're gonna be successful. And Atlanta is going to demonstrate to the world, and I think has begun to demonstrate to the world, that we're serious about this when we're ready. So with that, I get the pleasure of uh, trying to pronounce the next name. Jovan and I have spent uh, at least five minutes this morning making sure I didn't mess up his last name. It's Zagayetz. How about that? <laughs> he was really close to being Zagajack here about half an hour ago. Jovan is with Ford Motor Company. He's the head of connected vehicle technology and certainly an important voice. You know, Ford's uh, place in the universe of certainly vehicles and connected vehicle technologies is extremely prominent and growing. And so we're thrilled to have him join us today. Jovan? Well, good morning, everybody. I feel uh, really honored to be here. I'm also very fortunate to work for a company that's been around for 115 plus years, and it's been such a, an integral part of the history of our transportation industry. And what makes that feeling even more interesting is that there's so much excitement in this industry these days. Uh, the, the technology is changing at a pace that's, uh, that's unseen in our space, uh, and it makes my job really, really challenging, but also very, very interesting. So what I'm going to talk to you a little bit about today, and this is my first slide, yes. What I will uh, tell you a little bit about today is what, what's happening in the connected vehicle space. When the vehicle was conceived um, more than 115 years ago, it's, it, it was designed to serve a very simple human need, uh, the need to, for people to move far efficiently. And it has served that purpose valiantly for over a century. But today, if you actually look at the stats, we spend more time in our cars, three times more time in our cars than people did 30 years ago. There's something wrong happening here. We think that the connected vehicle technology is one of the pieces of the puzzle that we are going to need to solve those challenges. And in particular, we think at Ford that cellular V2X is the technology that will advance us to the point where we can actually start dealing with some of those challenges. Uh, so what is cellular V2X? I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. I think uh, Jim will, will do some of that a little bit later. But suffice it to say that it's a technology built on top of cellular technology that allows you to have both short-range and long-range communication. You would use short-range communication the way you would use DSRC technology to deal with vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, and you would use the long-range mode to deal with things that are not necessarily requiring a low latency. So why CV2X and not DSRC, you may ask? Uh, you, you probably know that Ford has been at the forefront of the development of the DSRC technology 20 years ago. I will offer you three rationales that, uh, uh, for, for your consideration. The first one is performance. So we've done extensive testing over the last three years that show that CV2X outperforms DSRC by a significant margin. And since V2X technologies, their primary purpose is safety, that is kind of important to us. The second reason is leverage. Uh, if you think about it, cellular V2X technology is built on top of an existing technology that we already have in our cars, uh, and therefore it, it allows us to deploy this, this kind of solution 
much more efficiently at a much lower societal cost than otherwise would have been uh, required. And, and finally, it's, it's about ubiquity and evolution. So CV2X is the first step in our journey towards 5G. And if, if you actually fast forward a little bit and start thinking about what the transportation industry will look like five or 10 years from uh, now with automation and autonomy, we are going to need the data carrying capacity of 5G to solve some of the problems that we are going to run into. And we're also going to need the, uh, the help of the ecosystem that's been building around 5G that is working on delivering that technology. So for us in the transportation industry, the challenge is pr pretty straightforward. We're either going to be part of that future or we're not. So we at Ford have decided that we really want to and we are, we're looking for ways how we can accelerate that, that journey. It is for these reasons that Cellular V2X is um, a very integral part of our connectivity strategy. So starting from last year, all of our new vehicles are now connected. So the new Mach-E that you're going to see on the road soon and the new F-150 that's, that's launching this summer, they're all going to be fully connected, uh, which kind of changes the game going forward. We are also working very diligently and starting on, on, on new architectures in the vehicle. And starting in, in this year, all of those new vehicles will be upgradable over the air. So some of the key components in the car, like the uh, power control module and the uh, uh, body control module, will be able to update that without you having to drive your vehicle to the, uh, to the dealership, which is also a game changer if you actually think about the challenges that we have in the industry today with software. And finally, starting in 22 calendar year, we are going to add another feature to our modem, which is the cellular V2X feature. So all of our new vehicles, uh, new vehicle models, starting in 22 calendar year, uh, will, will have this capability, provided we have a conducive regulatory environment. And I'm not going to go into that topic too much right now, but we can talk about it later. Is this a pie in the sky? Uh, it's, it's not. We, we feel very confident about this plan because the technology is here and it's ready. There's something, uh, two, two aspects of this demo that I really wanna highlight to you uh, folks here because I think it's kind of relevant to what we heard before about the importance of infrastructure. There were two portions of this demo that involved vulnerable road users, the pedestrian crossing the street and the scooter. None of those use cases is possible to deliver effectively without some sort of support from the infrastructure. And uh, in the case of the, of, the, of the pedestrian crossing the street, the way that worked is the pedestrian had a phone, click a button on the phone, I wanna cross the street. The infrastructure would receive that message and would retransmit that message to all of the cars approaching that intersection. When a car would approach that intersection, when they press the brake, the brakes, that would send a signal back to the pedestrian, okay, go ahead, you can cross. That's the kind of equivalent of the proverbial, go ahead, I see you, right? But now done completely with, uh, uh, with communication technologies. Uh, the second part was the scooter. The scooter was actually equipped with a Bluetooth device that was communicating with the infrastructure and the infrastructure was talking to the, to, the, to the vehicle. The applications that we built on top were essentially the same applications that we used in the DSRC world. So the uh, intersection management assist uh, was, in, was used in that particular case. Infrastructure is going to play a very, very important role, uh, not because of those use cases, but because it can also serve as the bridge into the future because it can connect DSRC vehicles with CV2X vehicles and Bluetooth devices with CV2X vehicles and it can serve that kind of mediatory uh, function that, that we desperately need on our roads, the way that traffic controllers do that today. 
I think this community is on the right path. I'm really, I'm really happy to be here because it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to see that these kinds of concepts are, are, are starting to materialize. And I'm looking forward to that future. Thank you. You know, if history one day is written about all of this, uh, it was Jim sitting in that first meeting who said, when we were all banding about the idea of maybe a thousand or could we get to a thousand, and we thought, you know, this would really be a unique test bed. And he said, test bed, this would be the first full-scale deployment of this technology in the world. Well, that got all of our egos excited and got the thing off the, off the bat. So Jim is with Qualcomm, and he is Senior uh, Director of Product Management uh, with Qualcomm, and has been an important voice in all of these discussions. So Jim, please take it from here. Thank you, Kerry. Usually when we talk about technology, we talk about Qualcomm, but I would like to talk about this community first. Because I understand I've been in transportation now for 30 years with technology, and I've seen technology evolve. I've kind of had a hand a little bit here and there, but something about transportation is inherently local. Even though I'm going to give a global context, and I'm going to point out in the end here, and I hope we can carry that, that I have a timeline, and you'll see this in a few moments, and I am hoping that this is, fits on the timeline. It's, it's basically an auspicious event, basically the very first deployment at scale with these types of technologies, I put it in plural, and an ecumenical evaluation of it to benefit the community. For that, I'm proud to be here, and I'm proud to, to, to kind of be the, be the portal to the world in some of this. And the portal to the world is um, why we believe cellular technology is, is the right technology here in the future. But let me, let me start with a little story. I, I flew late last night from CES. So we, have, we all have CES stories. This one is completely G-rated. Uh, but, but part of that story is in our booth, we had our partners, and we're trying to get a whole bunch of infrastructure partners to understand the value proposition of cellular V2X, that short-range communication. Because at day one, when Ford starts to roll out, and hopefully other OEMs start to roll out, millions of cars that have CV2X, they still won't talk to each other very much because that's a few million cars over a base of 300 million cars. The very first infrastructure element that's out there will be able to talk to that first car. So if it's outside the Ford dealership, get ready for Ford, I'm looking at Brian, uh, there will be immediate utility to both the infrastructure owner operator and the driver. So that, that's an important point here. And that, so the story is, is that we told our infrastructure, uh, our, we, you know, frankly for us, the market is cars, is not RSUs, but we wanted those RSUs to be highlighted. And we wanted dual mode RSUs to be highlighted because the current debate is which technology is better. We believe that the proof point will be what's in the cars, but the infrastructure owner operators have to feel comfortable with the technology they developed. So applied information was one, several others. So the story is, is that this larger scale deployment still has that concept. We believe that the regulatory environment will be shaped and that the market will drive us toward this, but I just wanted to say we start from a basis of a fair and objective evaluation. I'm happy this community is doing that. So I'm going to try to bias that evaluation from here on out. <laughs> Talk about cellular V2X. But th so the evolution to what we call 5GNR, or new radio, is to us the key to everything. You probably watch lots of commercials. You know that you can buy, now buy a really nice handset that has 5G. Eventually, you'll be able to, to basically use 5G in your car. Jovan hinted at, and I'll just say unequivocally, that the cellular V2X leads to 5G. There's a portion of it called the 5G NR. So there's an evolution that talks to the wide area network. There's an evolution of cellular V2X that is car to car. And that use case that was shown you know, very quickly in that video, 
where cars negotiate with each other. You'll be able to, with the 5G NR, to have that talk to these cars join and, and split in a cooperative maneuver at the radio level, not at the application level. What does that mean? I don't want to turn you all into radio engineers, but it means incredibly low latency and incredibly high reliability because you don't have to do any thinking. It just happens automatically with types of inventions that will be instantiated in standards. So, I am going to give you a little bit of background. Um, I think, um, I think you've, you've seen it, but now I'll show you pictorially uh, what we're talking about vehicle to everything. We talk again, when you talk, you know, you've heard the commercial, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. This is not your father's cellular system. It is both direct communication and the communication to the cloud in one device. And that's what we mean by V to everything. And it's that one device that will be in modems in cars and someday in a working manner in your cell phone. So this is where the everything comes in. We're excited about that future. And that future will come in evolutions with 5G, assuming there's spectrum available. And hopefully in the panel discussion, we'll talk about that as well. So this, this kind of drives point. There's a whole bunch of fancy terms in here because our tech marketing thinks everyone is a radio engineer. <laughs> but, but, but the point is PC5 means direct communication. So when you hear cellular veto X, yeah, you could go to the cellular system. And by the way, it's important because it's part of the whole end-to-end -end solution, but there's a component of it that is a direct communication. And that's what all these fancy pictures say. So if you take the left side, direct communication, and the right side, the, the, the cellular networks that you know and love and will evolve, and you add them together, that's what we mean by cellular V2X. And there's a whole ecosystem. That's basically my job description in this slide, is to try to piece together it so that it can work in different global regions. So I'm going to talk a little bit about global regions. And whoa, a picture of the world. Um, and I don't want to get too space age, but, but there is a lot happening globally. Um, actually, before I talk about this, this, this is an important slide that talks about spectrum, yet it doesn't. When you think about at least those of us in the 5G Automotive Association, I don't know if we were introduced, but three of us on this panel are on the board. This is a proposal. We didn't show a picture to FCC, but this is a proposal we gave to FCC which says we need spectrum for safety use cases. That's the cellular veto X that we talk about that you'll be able to touch and feel soon enough. But we need spectrum for advanced use cases. That's additive. That means when you take the light blue arrow and the dark blue arrow, that's a fairly big chunk of spectrum that we want. Uh, the FCC has said, well, you might be able to have some of the light blue arrow. That's pretty good. By the way, it's going to be interfered with, with lots of Wi-Fi. That's not good. And you won't be able to have this, this, this big blue arrow. So hopefully, as we progress together in these test beds, we'll be able to prove out that you need both the light blue arrow, the safety use cases of today, and the dark blue arrow. So enough of that advertisement. But hopefully, that illustrates to you uh, in a simple way but it's still complex, the thought process that we have with preserving the spectrum. So I, I have a long timeline. This is taken from slides made by people who are much more artistic than me. But I told you that, so this is just 2019. And you can see, and I'm going to have to actually stand up and say, because I can't remember all these words on these <laughs> slides. Um, but uh, this, this announcement uh, of a demo that was, it was announced, it's still going to happen for some time this year, but 
there's not just Ford involved. Uh, we, we love Ford, but there are other brands who are involved in at least in exploring and considering the possibility of the future. But then you see these, these, these foreign names like Patak and Telefonia and SAIC that cite China. So what I'm trying to illustrate here is that this is a global process, that, that this whole idea, these global standards are being applied. In the U.S., this would be the first instantiation of it. But when you look here, you see, well, Berlin, you know where that is. But you see CSAE, that's China SAE. Where, where in the statistics are, are, are incredible. There are 28 different companies that participated, OEMs and tier ones, in this type of interoperability <coughs> event. Um, and why is that important? Because this is happening in China, and I'll belabor that in a moment with the minute or so that I have left. In November, uh, a whole bunch of, of OEMs in the U.S., led by Ford and GM, to include Nissan and Hyundai Kia, working with us revealed how this would work in a large-scale engineering test to understand how this, this channel congestion or how uh, we can have these vehicles talk to each other in a crowded intersection so that they, they can deliver safety messages. And that, that will be belabored a little bit later. Certainly ask me questions about it or Yoban questions about this in here. And what I'm hoping to show in, in the, 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 uh, the 2000 timeline, 2020 timeline, is this auspicious event. Um, the commercial deployments, I said I'm going to talk about China. Uh, the only thing I'm going to talk about China is basically is a success. And you can see the types of numbers here. And without you know, going over, these are fancy slides with lots of Chinese entities. This is not China, but I'm here to say that we're, we can learn a lot from China, and that their deployments will happen beginning in 2020 with 13 OEMs by 2021. And it's going to happen in China, and Ford is a participant of that. So what I'm hoping for and trying to convey is that in the international context, uh, this, this is regarded as a very important uh, uh, feature, as an important safety feature, should be regarded as more than just, just something that, that, um, that, that we think about and experiment with, but it's being put in force. And again, this deployment would be, be, be there. Um, you know, the rest are just a bunch of takeaways that there are a lot of participants that we've got to support this type of ecosystem. Um, so there are a lot of potential participants in this and other test pads, or sorry, early deployments as we move forward. So that, I'm just trying again, and just to wrap it up because I have eight seconds counting down, <laughs> is that, that, that there is a global context of which this fits in. And I'm hoping to put a little shiny uh, uh, milestone point right here today. Thank you very much. Great, thank you, Jim. Next up is Cameron Corsi. Cameron is with AT&T. He's Vice President of Advanced Technical Solutions. Up until three years ago, I was actually in Charlotte's Web. I was um, living in Gwinnett County, and the only thing that I, that I don't miss about Atlanta is the traffic. That's really the only thing I don't miss about the Atlanta area. It's a, it's a wonderful place to live. And what that taught me, though, was the need for the governments, the municipalities, the industries to come together in a good way to solve traffic congestion issues and things like that. And so you might be wondering, well, what does a network operator, a mobile network operator like AT&T, and, and I have friends in here from other cellular providers. I saw a gentleman from Verizon. Actually, we're all together in this, in an industry 
that we, we really want to see help to progress this, this whole area. So that's why I'm excited about this facility, what it offers to all of us as an opportunity to work together. Because as an industry, the cellular operators, and, and I'm just going to tell you what AT&T is doing here. My friends in, in uh, Sprint or in T-Mobile and, and Verizon can talk to you offline about what they're doing. We connect a heck of a lot of vehicles today. And Jovan was talking about how Ford is going to be connecting all of their vehicles, and he told you some of the reasons why they're doing that. They do that through cellular operators like AT&T. And we connect a number of uh, major brands, and all of them today are moving into connecting their vehicles. Uh, they're doing that to be able to do firmware updates to the vehicles over the air, as well as provide other services and capabilities, one of which could be providing traffic management kind of support, right? So imagine that this whole vehicle, the vehicle is very important, obviously, where the, the, infra, the, the mobile networks can come into play is if you are on 400 out here in the Alpharetta area and you're traveling towards downtown Atlanta and five miles down the road, there are vehicles that start encountering tire slippage. If that kind of information, and that is information that can be delivered through DSRC or cellular VDX, if that information can then be aggregated together, logic can be applied to it, information can then be provided that can help vehicles five or 10 miles away to know there's ice on the roads before any, any other entity has been able to tell you that. Then you can take action, you can modify your traffic route to avoid that location or maybe even not even go there right now anyway. That's an example of how a cellular operator can help go beyond the limits of just where vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication can, can go, right? So we, as the cellular industry, are involved in many different alliances, areas where we work together across automotive, tra the whole transportation industry. 5G Automotive Association is one that uh, Jim and Jovan were talking about. And uh, really, this is one of the key organizations that is bringing together the interests of, of the automotive and the cellular domain. A key thing that I learned as I got into this a few years ago was automobiles need to be able to work for 15 years or more, right? Now, if you have a cellular phone, how often do you trade out that cellular phone? Probably every couple years. You don't do that with your vehicle. So when a cellular operator is changing their technology every few years and their only thought is the cell phone, they are missing out on the need for the entire automotive industry to have a technology that can live a long time as long as that vehicle can. These are areas where dialogue between our, our, our companies, dialogue between our industries, dialogue with the whole transportation industry uh, can help to make sure that we are all working together in the right way to make sure that we have viable solutions that last for a long time that are needed for our cities and, uh, and for the entire society, right? So 5GAA is a key area where we're doing that. There are, there are many others that are listed on there. Let me just tell you about one other one. Together for Safer Roads, that's the last one on that list of global alliances, TSR. We are involved in that from AT&T 
because we have a large fleet, uh, as all uh, telecom providers do, right? And we have a lot of vehicles on the road. So do other fleet, uh, fleets of vehicles. And we wanted to get together as private companies to figure out how we could make our roads safer. So this is more to the cellular industry than just how do you make the next dollar. This is also about how do we be good participants in, in society, right? How do we make sure that we are doing what we can as we provide infrastructure around the whole uh, United States that can help make this a reality? And why are we, uh, what do we see in the future for automotive use cases for connectivity? Of course, we're an entertainment company these days uh, with Warner Media. And uh, when you move into the connected and autonomous vehicle domain, there's going to be a lot more entertainment that happens, but it's got to be done in a safe manner, right? You've also, uh, you also need to provide uh, high definition map capability, precise positioning to vehicles, and you need to provide software update. These are just a few of the areas where we see the cellular industry intersecting with the uh, automotive and transportation. There's really a convergence of this short range and long range communication. We can extend the range, as my example provided you, of what you can deliver from the vehicle uh, that can be useful. Uh, we're also, as an industry, developing edge compute capability. We're putting the Google, the AWS, the Microsoft at our network edges. All, all of us as operators are. We can provide round trip latencies in the order of 20 milliseconds going forward. That's an incredible change to how cellular networks used to work as we move into the 5G world. And it will make possible a lot more capabilities for transportation that weren't there before. Just one other area that uh, AT&T is working in and our friends in other areas are probably doing similar things. And we have this, uh, what we call an integrated small cell. We have it operational at our drive studio in uh, Midtown Atlanta. And uh, we, we've uh, demonstrated that it works well where you put a, a, a small cell, a small uh, cellular cell site, right? Together with a roadside unit that does DSRC and cellular V2X and can, uh, can do that retransmission to vehicles. Uh, so this is an area where the industries can, again, come together, provide solutions that, that work across uh, the cellular and the automotive world. So the, all of these are reasons why we believe that it makes great sense to be uh, working together and to be involved in, in activities like this one. Thank you very much. So with that, we're going to keep moving and uh, get on with our panel. Uh, next up is Brian Mulligan. You'll notice Brian has a southern accent. It's just a different continent. <laughs> if you don't speak fluent, Brian, just raise your hand and he'll slow down and we'll be fine. So with that, no, Brian has uh, been a, a great uh, friend and educator uh, for all of us, uh, particularly me, in this whole process. And the brainchild, this was his brainchild, so we're particularly proud to have him on board. So, Brian, please. Oh, thanks, Kerry. So not, not, not only am uh, with Applied Information, but also the director of the uh, IATL, and, the, and we're so proud to have everybody here and the folks that are coming this afternoon. Uh, and I want to reiterate that the, that the IATL is a private sector-led, private sector-sponsored, but it's open, it's collaborative. It's uh, focused on embracing national standards and things like that, so that everybody, even if we end up being competitors, it doesn't matter. Everybody can use this to make their technology better, to make it interoperable, 
to make it work in practice, and that's both the auto companies, the technology companies, the mobile network operators, the local authorities, and the various manufacturers of traffic equipment. So it's exciting for me. And uh, what I'm talking about here is making connected vehicles a reality. And this actually is a picture that's out of a Ford motor vehicle using their SYNC interface, which is an interface that Ford provided with an open interface uh, that you have to get approved on, but, but it allows you to communicate. And this is us making the Fords talk to this traffic lights out in the street. And unfortunately, Jovan's in a bit of a uh, short time frame, but uh, we've got a F-150 here that we were going to take you around, but maybe next time we'll take you around and show you how, how the Ford works uh, using your SYNC interface. In the technology business, we've been fighting a 20-year war about which radio is better. That creates a lot of uncertainty under local authorities. And one thing that local and regional governments tend to do, when there's a lot of uncertainty, everybody says, well, let's just wait until it settles. And so for 20 years, we've more or less, we've been doing that. And so what we're doing is here showcasing in this area with the support of public-private sector partners like the North Fulton CID and the city of Alpharetta, is showing how all the radios can work together, which means that the local authorities can deploy infrastructure in confidence that it's going to be future-proof. So the radios you see, for those of you guys interested in radios, uh, our team will show you how, how it all works. There's some functional uh, art on the wall that I like to call Sandy Art for, who, who did a great job in making the functional art on the evolution of radios and, and how these radios work together. Because, they are, and it shows that the idea that radios are going to be static for another 20 years is just not the case. They evolve like everything else. And so these radios that you see talking to this intersection up at the top of the street here, they rebroadcast all messages. Uh, you can, uh, got some, some advantages that, um, that uh, easy to, to maintain because one of the things we did is our first set of radios we put on the top of the pole. And, if, uh, and, said, and some of our channel partners, and in fact it was DC with Winter, she said, if it was a good idea to put the technology at the top of the pole, we would put it at the traffic controllers at the top of the pole. But we don't, we put them at cabinets where you can maintain them. So there's uh, a lot of new old stuff. The number of folks in the room are our channel partners who've got access to market to all 350,000 of the United States traffic controllers. And so uh, this is the way we're hopefully going to make the local authorities confident enough to deploy. So as I say, hashtag get ready for Ford, by 2022, the Ford drives out of the dealership and talks to the traffic light that's outside. Over there, software updates important. This is a, a picture of, a tip, of an installation where the radio is at the bottom of the, of, of the pole. You can see it even in a picture or you can look out the window. It's all the same and these are our radios, antenna at the top of the pole for cellular V2X and DSRC, plus another couple of antennas at the bottom of the pole for 4G LTE and so forth, GPS. A, a, a concept which uh, is also reinforces some of the previous com comments that were uh, discussed is this concept of safety horizon. In 1999, when we um, reserved the spectrum for DSRC radio, these concepts didn't exist. <laughs> And the idea was that the DSRC radio and the appropriate protocols and so forth were going to have to do everything. So, but this illustrates that all the cars coming out have local onboard sensors and radars that do collision imminent safety. There's the medium range safety of um, uh, uh, V2V so that all these applications can be deployed. And then as Cameron and others talk about the longer range safety of V2N. And that fine, we can compete and we can discuss, but this is the reality of what we we're dealing with, and the short-range radios, uh, the cellular V2X, 
DSRC or for that medium range that you see. The, this is a picture of the, the functional art. I encourage you guys to go and have a look at it uh, on the wall there. But in the transportation business, we inherently think that the radios are a static thing. You choose a radio and you've got to have that radio for 20 years. The reality is that, that, that the mobile network operators, the cell phones have shown us that that isn't how radios work. And this is in the seven years since uh, Applied Information got in the uh, traffic business. This is the evolution of radios that just we've exp experienced and how we offer a warranty that we're always going to have connectivity. We put them on these different modules and we've unplugged into the, our distributors and channel partners will know who started with us on 2G and then on 3G that they've unplugged those and they've put in 4G to upgrade the radius. And that's how we're able to warrant that we're always going to have connectivity and obviously now lead, leading to 5G. And that's why we chose to adopt cellular V2X and DSRC and Wi-Fi and 4G LTE leading to, to 5G. Again, the, the other making these connected vehicles a reality, you see some of our technology butterflied open so you can actually see how all these radios work together to make connected vehicles a reality. Now we know that there's competition between states and particularly between Georgia and Florida regarding football. <laughs> and so what we want to do is we want to play our role in what we call the competitive radio business. And uh, what we were able to do, uh, for those of you in the trade, the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission, is making a, you know, some changes to the rules about how radio works. So in order to make some of these radio works, you have to get what's called an experimental license. And so uh, over the last day, I'm proud to announce that Georgia's experimental license was approved and Florida's was denied. <laughs> <laughs> We had Florida call us yesterday and say, uh, can you help us? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that is a big news flash, so we're, 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 we're doing good. Commissioner McMurray, Russell McMurray of Georgia Department of Transportation was planning to be here. He had a, a schedule conflict arise at the last minute. He called last week and said, I can't be there. I said, well, who are you sending? He said, I'm sending Andrew Heath. And I said, well, that's fine. We traded up. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Heath is the state traffic engineer, and he will explain to you why uh, Russell is non-compass heuris. I think that's Latin, but uh, Andrew's been a great part of all of these discussions and extremely knowledgeable, as you might imagine, on all things technology and transportation related in our state. So, Andrew, please. Thank you, Carrie, and good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. My title is a state traffic engineer. You talked about Atlanta traffic earlier, so if it makes you feel better, when you wake up in the morning, just curse my name, and then you can just proceed on, and hopefully you'll feel a little bit better. But Commissioner McMurray sends his apologies. He is actually right now meeting with the Secretary of Transportation and her chief of staff talking about a number of issues, but one of those is connected vehicles itself. So he is up in D.C. right now talking about this very thing. So he's been a great advocate for Georgia um, in the connected vehicle space. Georgia DOT's goal when you talk about emerging technology, including connected vehicles, is very simple. We want to be the national leader in the deployment of emerging technologies across the country, right? Either connected, automated, or any other emerging technology that's going to make our transportation system work better for our citizens. We understand the mobility and safety benefits that can be realized through this technology. I think many of you have seen the studies that have produced by NHTSA and other organizations talking about 90% crash reduction in, in entirety, right? 
You talk about the future of the insurance industry and what's going to happen there. Why are we not doing everything we can to realize a 90% reduction in crashes, to save lives immediately, to improve mobility across the region and across the state? So we want to capitalize on that and be the first in line uh, to realize those benefits. So in that line, a little bit about our connected vehicle program history. We began a connected vehicle program back in 2017 in response to the AASHTO signal phase and timing or SPAT challenge which was a very simple challenge. It was to deploy 20 connected vehicle radios at that time, dedicated short-range communication for all 50 states by the year 2020. We just got to 2020 now, right? And that, that challenge feels like a lifetime ago, to be honest. Us being overachievers, we decided we won't do 20, we'll do 54. All right, so we connected 54 intersections as part of a pilot project back in 2017, which went really well for us, right? So we are broadcasting SPAT. We hooked up some vehicles and started receiving that information and developed a few applications around countdown to greens and things of that nature and decided that, okay, it's great to have 54 intersections connected. Let's continue that and make this a baseline deployment, baseline connectivity for all of our infrastructure. So through the regional traffic operations program that we have, which touches 1,700 intersections across the metro Atlanta region, we decided to make this connected vehicle technology part of the baseline, get away from the whole notion of a pilot deployment and make it just part of the infrastructure we have to prepare ourselves for the OEMs that were deploying these radios. And we have continued that deployment over the past couple of years. We are now upwards of over 300 locations that are broadcasting signal phase and timing. And we are fortunate enough to receive a $2.5 million grant from USDOT last year uh, to help accelerate that program. Just last year as well, we entered into a three-way partnership with Panasonic and a philanthropic entity many of you probably know called The Ray to install six roadside units broadcasting through CV to X along 18 miles of rural interstate. And that was very important for us because one, it got our feet wet in CV to X communication, but two, it's a rural interstate. Everything we've been talking about today, most of what we've been talking about has been connecting signals and looking at urban areas or metropolitan areas. This is a deployment on a rural interstate and our goal with that project is to start demonstrating crash alerts, weather alerts, and queue alerts in a rural setting, right? This technology can provide those benefits not just here in Metro Atlanta, but in rural applications as well and we want to demonstrate that through this project. And stay tuned for additional announcements from the department. We have a transportation showcase in the coming weeks that I hope a lot of you have received your invitation to and we encourage you to be there. The governor will be speaking at that event and making additional announcements on what GDOT is doing from a connected vehicle perspective. Folks have hinted at this, but I do want to very quickly touch on the regulatory environment through the FCC. We are very concerned about the recent announcement by the FCC to unlicense 45 megahertz of the current 75 megahertz that is allocated for transportation safety. We have written letters to the Secretary of Transportation, to our congressional delegation, and we are developing our position statement now to give to the FCC as that potential rulemaking comes out, and we encourage all of you to do the same. You know, it's our understanding that testing was underway through both USDOT and the FCC to understand the sufficiency of the existing 75 megahertz system when it comes to deploying and proliferating connected vehicle technology. We feel like that testing needs to be played out before you take action for reallocation of the spectrum and particularly unlicensing 45 megahertz of the existing 75 megahertz spectrum. So that is concerning to us. But to sum up, we are, we are very pleased as Georgia DOT to be part of the transportation technology industry uh, within Georgia. We do think we are very quickly, if not already, becoming the national leader in emerging technologies. As the infrastructure owner operator in the state, 
Um, we want to continue to expand our partnerships and coordinating with what's going on from a re regulatory position with the federal government, but also partnering with our local governments, with OEMs, and with the technology sector, all of you here in this room, so that we can get this technology in place, get it deployed, and start realizing those benefits as quickly as possible. I think this type of investment, this facility here, shows a commitment within the state of Georgia to be that national leader, and it's very encouraging to see this. So thank you for having us here. Um, again, as GDOT, we want to take advantage of the potential safety and mobility benefits first. We want to be at the front of the line. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Next up is, is an individual who's uh, very accomplished in addition to having a really cool first name. Uh, Kerry Lord uh, <laughs> is here. He's a program manager of Renew Atlanta, and he's going to talk to us about what's going on with the the heart of the region. So, Kerry, please. Yeah, yeah thank you. I'm, um, I'm here in place for Josh Rowan. He's the new Atlanta DOT commissioner. And so uh, I'm his mini-me today. My, my role, I'm, I'm the program manager for the city's uh, Renew Atlanta Bond and TSPLOS program, which started like in 2016. And um, a big part of that at the beginning was to do a smart corridor in the city that would show technologies that can um, improve transportation, improve safety, you know, and just you know, make the road work much better. You know, the charge was to um, not just account for cars, but for pedestrians, bicyclists, and, um, and, and, and now scooters, which is, uh, has a significant presence in uh, the city of Atlanta. So, um, you know, at the city, they, they did an RFI, a request for information, to um, the technology world. And what's really cool is that there were some very interesting responses from the autonomous manufacturers, software companies, and even from a crazy company called Applied Information and Temple, which was, which was, if you would have read it like I did the first time, you would have said, I mean, well, this is what I did say. No way, y'all can't do this, show me. And so that happened. But um, the, the option to look at all these technologies and then um, have the political support and uh, management of the city to deploy and then take advantage of some of your neighboring agencies' contracts, such as GDOT's, who has a fantastic uh, TSIF commodities contract to allow you to procure faster and test technologies that you otherwise would have to procure in a very hard, difficult way in a city government. So we had those uh, uh, advantages. The situation there was uh, the previous mayor had a direct charge to staff to be the first one to deploy 20 intersections, DSRC, by 2020. Be the first one in the state. And, so, and then also test other technologies that, that you can deem worthy for other um, city deployment throughout. And so uh, you know, that was exciting. You don't get that option every now and then as a traffic engineer. So I was uh, flattered to do that. Now, in the very beginning, I want to give my friend Arcadis over here plug or two, but they were the visionaries. They're a partner on the team that kind of started this before we did the RFI so we could make some requests of what we wanted. And then um, we did North Avenue. Um, I had the um, luxury of being the project manager for that. And uh, North Avenue is a, um, half of it's a state route and the other half is a city route. You know, and it connects some pretty significant businesses, you know, AT&T, Coke, Georgia Tech, Pont City Market, you know, and um, part of the whole experiment was to, uh, you know, do connected vehicle stuff, do, do all type of uh, wireless technologies, um, adaptive signal technologies, autonomous vehicle technologies, and, you know, and then to come back and decide what, what can we do next. Um, you know, regarding autonomous technology there, you know, there's, there's a real user case there for Pont City Market, and they're, they're sending um, like 300 people a day 
from Pont City Market to North Avenue Martyr Station. Probably a lot of you are familiar with the Beltline, which is a huge success story. You know, there's a lot of people that want to get in this, you know, get and enjoy this area of the city. So, uh, although we didn't get the autonomous shuttle project deployed yet, we're still talking to Pont City Market for a public-private partnership, which will be a connected autonomous vehicle shuttle that runs from the, uh, their facility to North Avenue and then loop around on Ponce de Leon and come back. So still in the works. The, the quarter was a success. You know, we, we were able to test a lot of technologies that um, proved worthy and um, are still operational. Honestly, there's a few that did, didn't work, you know, and we chose not to seek out further whatsoever. The emergency vehicle preemption on the corridor is pretty fantastic. You know, I don't, I don't want to low grade that, but like in, in the city, you know, you, there's so many cars, you know, and you, when you hear a fire truck, you, you don't know where it's coming from. And then there's this car sitting everywhere in front. So the whole thing there is we've got to flush these cars out of the way. And so um, I've experienced it on many occasions, and it's, it's a different type of preemption than I've seen elsewhere. I, I used to work for a suburban county. It's just a different story in the urban environment than it is in the sub, uh, suburban environment for sure. So, uh, you know, what's uh, next steps for the uh, city in regards to smart corridor as well? We need to get transit on board. You know, there's a lot of talks with MARTA. There's a road called Camelden Road, which is the highest transit used corridor in the city, which is uh, second on the list. It's already got um, transit priority on there, emergency vehicle preemption. It has travel safely um, and some other technologies. So it's, uh, you know, it's next on the list. We're working strongly with MARTA to um, help transit work better, for sure. Fire chief most definitely wants emergency vehicle preemption at every signal in the city. Can we satisfy him? Well, it, everything's got a price tag, so working on that. One thing that's neat that's coming, you've heard of the CV1K+. Plus. So um, in order to connect North Atlanta to South Atlanta and the airport and stuff, um, the city of Atlanta has about 135-ish uh, signals that, that, that they will be a part of this uh, CV1K+, uh, plus uh, effort, doing CV to X, DSRC. And so um, we're, we are going to go ahead and deploy CV to X on North Avenue now. And um, it, it is the living lab. And so, you know, to go ahead and just accomplish that and test that. Uh, let me see here what Brian told me to say. <laughs> <laughs> the city looks forward to be, you know, every, every jurisdiction wants to be a leader, you know, try to be the first one, demonstrate this and stuff like that. You know, and, um, you know, it, it does seem like a friendly competition sometimes. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, can you do better with your transportation system through technology that costs less than full rehabilitation? You know, and many, many agencies and have uh, experimented with this, and you know, I think the answer is yes. There's a lot of things you can do. You know, re reality is Atlanta's not going to widen any roads at all. To be frank, they're, they're doing complete streets. They're taking lanes away like crazy. And so, you know, the solution at the end of the day has to be you know, not just for the cars, you know, um, the pedestrians, it's a big deal, bicyclists. If I've ever had to deal with the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, they will tear you apart. <laughs> yeah, and so, and then the scooter company, the scooters. Now, when, when a fatality occurs, scooter, ped, bike, I mean, it's, it's a big deal for an agency. You know, it, you know, it's a whirlwind of activities about why did this happen, what can you do to make it never happen again, and uh, give me a response right now to speak to these um, other groups. And so we just had one last weekend, Camelton Road, the pedestrian ran. So certainly uh, my bosses are wanting to do an array of things that, um, you know, detect pedestrians, make all the signals turn red, you know, do some things that, that you can't really do. But, but I know there's technology that we can 
help improve safety for all the mobility, not just for cars. So that's all I got. Thank you very much. So great to be here. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Next up is Shailen Bott. He's the CEO of ITS America. Shailen, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Just want to say I appreciate the invitation to be here. I, I used to be the Secretary of Transportation in Colorado and in Delaware. And for the 10 years that I was a leader at that place, I used to say, you know, the point of a DOT is to do two things, to save lives and to make people's lives better. I think that technology is the best tool in our toolbox to make that happen. And I agree, most jurisdictions are not talking about widening roads or adding capacity because it's just not feasible. You're not gonna widen 75 or 85 or any of these places, particularly in metro areas. We're in Denver, we're not gonna widen the highway. But I just wanna elevate the conversation from a national perspective to the why are we doing this, right? So ITS America, we say, you know, it's an association of companies, so Ford, Qualcomm, Verizon, Econolite, all these, all these groups, public sector agencies, Georgia, City of LA, Las Vegas, transit agencies, and research institutions all around, how do you create a better world that is safer, greener, and smarter? So on the safety piece, uh, in my 20 years in transportation, we always talk about towards zero deaths, right? Vision zero, towards zero deaths. When I became the director in Colorado, uh, there were 484 deaths on Colorado roadways. When I left three and a half years later, we were up to 714. So it was a 10% increase year over year. So on the one hand, we're saying, let's get towards zero deaths. And every year, we're going up by 10%. In the time we take today to do this event, there'll be a hundred other fatalities. I don't wanna be that Debbie Downer guy, but the reality is, and for me, it's very personal. When I became the director or the secretary in Delaware, I was like, send me an email every time there's a fatality on the system. And so I, I remember all of these incidents and NHTSA believes that 80 to 90% of crashes can be avoided through connected vehicle technology. So those of us, and, and Doug here mentioned earlier that uh, we're all a bunch of geeks, right? We're geeks who are responsible for this system. And so shame on us if, if we're not doing everything in our power. And I really congratulate the leaders in this room. And I don't use the word leader uh, lightly. Uh, I think that from elected leadership, I think it is so amazing because generally in my experience, most elected leaders are like, we want to go to the ribbon cutting on the road widening, right? They're, they're less interested in, you know, sort of like the technology solutions that are going to improve throughput or operations because that's just not as uh, not as much sizzle so i really commend the leadership here for saying we know this can make a difference and we we're gonna do this the right way i'd also say that from a from a transportation perspective atlanta is probably one of the hot spots around the world they they came out last year and said that americans spend 100 hours a year in traffic right I'm sure Atlanta was certainly on the upper edge of, uh, you, you, you always want to be a leader, but you know, that is just terrible, right? I mean, uh, I was asking, now I have a vested interest in traffic working well, I've got a 5.30 flight. So if we can preempt some of those signals today, let's just kick this off with a bang and we'll work that out. But that represents time, it's an aggregate amount of time, but that is literally minutes that we're not home with family, or doing the things that we want to do. And so uh, we, we often will do these like multi-billion dollar uh, widenings of, of roadways and things. And people are like, what's the net net? Well, we're going to get you home three minutes faster. And to the average taxpayer, that doesn't really resonate that well. But you aggregate that over time. And that really creates a, a, a big difference. And then 
And lastly, I would just say the other big thing that is coming through now more and more is this concept of sustainability. If cars aren't sitting in traffic and idling in traffic, they're not you know, putting off emissions, and that is a, you know, just a positive benefit. But then there's a secondary piece here. Over 50% of traffic congestion comes from secondary crashes. Uh, or for, excuse, from non-recurring incidents. Uh, so it's crashes on the roadway that also beget secondary crashes. And so if we can get vehicles to talk to each other and prevent crashes on the front end, it, it unlocks a lot of the gridlock that is keeping the system at bay. So for the last part of my presentation, I just want to say, this is great, and I love the fact that when we went from the SPAT challenge uh, of 20 signals, the fact that I think it's 1,000 signals uh, to be connected, what an amazing step. And it's so important to get that message to the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission right now, because you know we use a lot of data in transportation. So anytime you're going to make a transportation investment, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis, right? So you have a lot of crashes. Do we put up a signal? Do we put up a grade-separated interchange? And I got to make the investment decision that is based on money. The FCC right now is making this, taking this action of saying we're going to unlicense 45 uh, megahertz in the absence of data. They, they, they are literally saying we don't want the data that is out there. It's just a lot easier to make this decision without the data. And that doesn't work in the transportation world. It doesn't work in your home financial world. You can't make a decision about a vacation next year without understanding the financial data. And so how the FCC is just going to take, and Jovan and I were talking about this earlier, we as ITS America are, are beyond the radio battle war. So it's great that CVDX is out there. It's great that DSRC is out there. It's great there's dual, dual units. But CVDX or DSRC, if you have unlicensed in that bottom 45, uh, it's just like putting a big radio station beside your favorite station. You can't hear it anymore. And if you can't hear it, you'd lose the safety benefit. And so next week at TRB, we're going to have uh, some somebody, probably one of the undersecretaries from USDOT. We're going to have the head of the automotive Automobile Association, uh, John Bazell. They just merged. I'm not sure what the new name is. Um, but uh, the Automobile Association, we're going to have Jim Timon, who's the head of all the state DOTs. We're going to have some first responders there. We're going to have Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And it's all around driving the message home to the FCC of we're finally on the cusp. The automobile manufacturers are there, states, cities, transit agencies. We've got the deployments. Now is not the time to pull back the safety spectrum. And so the most important thing, and we have some elected officials here, is for the FCC to hear it from you, for elected officials to hear it from you to say, hey, I, I just did a quick Google search before I got in here, and I was Google like car crashes in the city that I'm in. And in Atlanta, just in the last two weeks, there have been like all these terrible crashes. On the Pennsylvania Turnpike, there was a terrible backup. You know, there was a, a school bus that hit a, a car and killed a driver yesterday. This is happening every single day. So please reach out to people while we have a chance to make a difference because it's so incredibly important. And uh, thank you again for the leadership in uh, deploying this. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Next up is Mike Dudgeon. Uh, Mike is the policy advisor for Lieutenant Governor Duncan. And uh, Mike was at our first meeting when we tried to figure out if there were any fatal flaws here. And Mike brings tremendous expertise from so many angles to this discussion. First of all, he's an experienced legislator and he knows how all that works. He's a policy advisor to our Lieutenant Governor. He's a technology geek. 
And he lives in this area. Uh, he was the, the perfect guy to be a sounding board and a guidance and advisor and a soothsayer at times. So, Mike, we appreciate all you've done, and especially thank you for being here today. Well, thank you, Kerry. Appreciate it. Glad to be here on behalf of Lieutenant Governor Duncan, who will be here at 2 o'clock for the grand opening and have his own words. And I'll say a, a few repeats from him, but mostly be different. So in order to get started about why this is important to Lieutenant Governor, um, I want to rewind 30 years to 1990, which blows my mind now, when I was a young Georgia Tech electrical engineering graduate working at Windward Parkway, which is a couple exit north of here. I remember looking around, there's this four-lane road, I'm a 22, 23-year-old kid, and there's nothing there. There's a couple little office buildings, and I'm like, who, what moron built this Windward Parkway thing, and there's nothing here? And um, being young and naive and understanding the value of being forward-thinking, um, realizing that at the time that Alpharetta up here has been a very forward-thinking um, municipality and government investing in that and then fiber optic and other technology which has allowed the technology ecosystem which did eventually develop here to come here to Alpharetta and this being such a successful economic development place here in Georgia. And I make that point is, is because it's so hard to get the public sector to think ahead all the inertia, all the rewards, if you work in the government, all your rewards are usually to kind of stay in your lane and to be safe and to choose a safe option that I, no one's gonna ever criticize me that I took one out on a limb. And so that is always the incentive system, so it's always good to see when people are going out beyond that. And, and Andrew mentioned our DOT here has done a great job by doing things like being a very early adopter of somebody trying to go after the connected vehicle with the DRC and taking it to the next level. And that's not something a lot of governments do. And Lieutenant Governor Duncan, when he, he campaigned for this job, which he's had for a year now, talked about Georgia being the technology capital of the East Coast. And if you're gonna do that, that's not something that comes from a bill or law or a press conference. That's actually a massive public-private partnership and really a, a goal for doing a lot of different things. And it's involved vision. And the important thing about this entire project is there's a vision of a future that we're not there yet. We're not there, we have connected vehicles where we can talk and, and things like that. No different than 10 years ago, people couldn't visualize how a smartphone revolutionized their life. So when I met this crazy South African guy about a year ago, um, Brian, and uh, he was, and he's actually essentially a neighbor up in Forsyth County, and saw his thing, I immediately clicked because I was an embedded systems engineer. I, Worked on 900 megahertz radios, firmware and hardware back in the 90s for a company around here called LXC. So he was, he was talking my language as a, as a double E nerd, but also as a policy guy, I immediately jumped in and said, aha, this is a perfect example of something. If we can break through some of the government inertia and break through some of the natural barriers that we can jump out ahead of things. And what I found was is that we had a great partnership already forming. The city of Marietta was already had on connect intersections. Alpharetta had an RFP out. Kerry and the Atlanta Regional Commission were on board, North Fulton CID, you already had a bunch of local people. And so we worked at the state, we had a meeting with the governor, meeting with the lieutenant governor, and decided that this was an area where the state really wanted to try to grease the wheels in order to make this thing happen as soon as possible. And Kerry's done a really good job of sort of leading the informal coalition onto the government side. But inherently, and in, in Brian, at this point, this is inherently going to be a private sector win. And, you know, I was talking to the gentleman from Ford coming up here and with Qualcomm, you know, we're just trying to create the ecosystem and get the rules and get a little bit of incentives and, and turn everybody loose and let everybody win. This is an example. I firmly believe that 10 years from now, when people are totally used to their cars talking to each other and talking to the, inter talking to the intersection and getting that kind of data, they'll wonder why they didn't have it before. 
and we are right there on the cusp of getting this started, and that's when a lot of things, the government will screw it up and let it splat all over the floor. Hence, our FCC is probably accidentally maybe trying to splat this in its, in its cradle as we're about to get started. So uh, I concur, we're gonna write um, letters from the state capitol and, and try to work, use our political influence on that as well because technology adoption curves, everyone knows them, they start up very slow, very slow for years and years and they get to an inflection point and they zoom up. And I believe we're right at the inflection point on traffic safety radio and that's exactly the wrong time you know, to, to do that. It's, so we don't wanna be doing that. I'll make my uh, Brian list here as well to make sure I don't miss anything. One thing is also important to understand and Andrew made this point in the technology space and Lieutenant Governor makes this point as well is that you're not gonna solve traffic problems by just paving the world. Um, one, that's too expensive, and two, it just, it just doesn't work over the long term. And really, technology-based solutions are the way to do a real force multiplier in making this stuff happen. So when we got into the legislature, we made sure that, um, got, I'm sorry, got into, sworn into office, Lieutenant Governor, made sure we put some money in the budget to help the DOT do researchy type things. I tease my transportation friends because they're mostly civil engineers. And a civil engineer is the least risk-averse engineering profession that there is. You over-design your bridge and your road by 3x. If any bridge ever falls down, it's like the massive story forever. I'm a technology doubly software guy. We fail all the time, and we're proud of it. We put our failure hat on, and we roll on, roll on down the road. And I'm not saying I want to fail, but you have to be inherently, if you're doing technology, you have to be willing to take more risk. You know, and you have to be willing to understand that technology is going to move. Brian made this point. DSRZ, cellular, 5G, whatever the radio that some guy is working in some lab right now um, at UCLA is going to come out with next week that we don't even know about that's going to be the next thing. That's going to be great. The idea is you just got to keep the train moving, and I'm really excited that we've got this momentum. I remember talking to Brian and Kerry several months ago about opening this lab and, and doing all of this, and I said, well, let's do it the week before the legislature starts so the lieutenant governor can be here and we are the Friday before the legislature starts uh, on Monday. So anyway, glad to be here. Um, like I said, the lieutenant governor will be here shortly and this is a perfect example of where the private sector can take a lead but the government can come in and help and everybody wins because our citizens don't understand that they're winning here today, but they are winning here today. They're just gonna take a little while to get it. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Next up, Patrick Hughes. Patrick's with the National Electrical Manufacturers Association. He's Vice President of Operations. Uh, we welcome you, Patrick, please. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am with an organization called the National Electrical Manufacturers Association, NEMA. Many of the engineers in the room probably know NEMA enclosures. Uh, that's one of our over 700 standards um, that we have. Um, we cover a range of electrical products um, at NEMA. We represent the manufacturers of um, electric vehicle charging stations, uh, lighting, uh, utility equipment, um, and of course, traffic uh, signaling infrastructure. And that's what uh, Brian asked me to talk about today, uh, was the role of standards uh, in facilitating uh, connected vehicles um, and uh, the private sector leading uh, on developing these standards. So to give you a quick overview, um, some of our traffic signaling um, standards, we have them on uh, traffic controller assemblies, dynamic message signs, portable traffic signal systems, uh, cybersecurity, um, which is obviously uh, increasingly important uh, as the system is more connected. And then we're working on two new ones, uh, NEMA TS9 and TS10. And TS10 is what I'll get into in a, in a few minutes. Um, 
TS9 on advanced traffic performance uh, measures, um, and then TS10 on connected vehicle infrastructure, uh, roadside equipment, uh, really focused on, on roadside units. So standards, speaking generally, um, are the essential enabler of a safe and connected uh, transportation system. Uh, they facilitate interoperability, uh, and they're the platform uh, by which vehicles can talk to infrastructure, other vehicles, uh, pedestrians, and uh, really facilitate everything that we've heard uh, here today that a connected transportation system can do. And ultimately, uh, they help reduce the unacceptably high number of roadway deaths that we're seeing each year. In addition to uh, NEMA writing our own standards, of course, we also uh, participate with the Department of Transportation um, and others on uh, the National Transportation Communications for Intelligent Transportation System Protocol, NTCIP uh, standards, and the Advanced Transportation Controller, ATC standards. NEMA TS-10, let me focus uh, on this for the, the rest of my remarks, because uh, this is an exciting new standard uh, that we are uh, almost finished with. So NEMA members are manufacturers, as well as state and local authorities uh, who purchase roadside equipment have a major stake in the deployment of these roadway safety technologies. RSUs, um, like we see here in the lab, uh, that facilitate V to I and V to X uh, functions and contribute to the reduction of roadway accidents. Um, smart roadside infrastructure uh, will be the primary enabler of connected vehicles. Um, consequently, um, manufacturers want to make sure that uh, the equipment is interoperable and standards do that. So, in April of 2019, uh, NEMA put together a committee that started to focus on um, standards for uh, connected vehicle infrastructure roadside equipment, or RSUs. So NEMA TS-10 um, is the standard, and the types of uh, roadside devices uh, covered under the standard include traffic signals, crosswalk signs, uh, you know, flashing school zone safety beacons, ramp meters, and other uh, electronic traffic control equipment. And the standard underlies the communication between infrastructure, um, RSUs, and private vehicles, uh, public agency vehicles, such as emergency and transit, uh, fleet vehicles, including freight, delivery, taxis, and ride sharing, aftermarket onboard devices uh, for retrofit uh, into existing public and private vehicles, uh, central management systems, uh, such as traffic, transit, emergency, uh, freeway, freight, and others, personal information devices, so your smartphone, um, for pedestrians, uh, micromobility, including the scooters, which you heard a little bit about, uh, bicycles and mobility aids, uh, infrastructure sensors that can detect unequipped vehicles, um, as well as vulnerable road users, and rail grade crossings uh, for crash avoidance and uh, prediction of train arrival and crossing duration. So really a wide range of uh, communication options here. Now the reason that uh, the private sector uh, and the uh, traffic signaling industry um, got together to write this standard was to address a few gaps that we were seeing in the standard space. Um, so number one, creating a procurement standard uh, for roadside units uh, that could meet uh, specialized uh, individual user needs, um, including options for transportation agencies to tailor procurement specifications um, unique to, to that area, as well as standardizing a minimum set of messages uh, with a uniform interpretation for safety applications, again, uh, harmonizing and standardizing. 
standardizing uh, roadside unit functions needed by vehicles and vulnerable road users, uh, reserving hardware, software, and communications capacity for future needs, the importance of, of uh, future-proofing these technologies, harmonizing communication protocols uh, from the roadside unit to the central system, and then supporting uh, multiple radios simultaneously. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have mentioned that today. It's really a, a vital component of the connected vehicle ecosystem to support present and future interoperability. Vehicles and infrastructure must be able to communicate with each other, uh, regardless of the type of device or the underlying technology. Um, so a goal of the TS-10 standard is to accommodate, but not require, future equipment environments and capabilities. Uh, it's evident that at least for the time being, uh, multiple communication technologies are going to have to coexist uh, in the marketplace. And NEMA TS-10 uh, will enable transportation agencies to have confidence in their procurement of roadside uh, units so that they won't become obsolete as communication technologies advance. The NEMA TS-10 standard uh, describes four primary attributes of a roadside unit. Um, the physical, so the hardware platform, uh, the mechanical and environmental attributes, uh, the software, the communication stack, uh, security, and a minimum set of standard messages, uh, the interfaces, uh, both terrestrial and wireless interfaces, uh, and of course performance attributes, so latency and computational capacity. The TS-10 standard recognizes that there are many user needs, uh, and they're different depending on your jurisdiction. Um, <clears throat> so it was written to support um, a variety of applications and identify the minimum requirements uh, that need to be supported. So a given roadside unit um, can support one or more user needs, uh, including signal preemption for emergency vehicles, uh, red light violation warning, pedestrian crossings, uh, entering a school or a work zone, flooding ahead, and, and many more applications. In summary, uh, NEMA TS-10 represents an industry-led uh, private sector effort uh, to advance the widespread adoption of connected vehicle infrastructure. Uh, it addresses maintainability, connectivity, uh, communications, interoperability, and the ability to address future advances in communication technologies. The first draft of this standard was completed last month. Uh, we're in the final review phase. Uh, we should have the final standard published uh, late spring, early summer. I'd encourage you to, to reach out to me uh, if you're curious uh, about the draft. Um, I can talk to you more about the details, or uh, actually I'll have someone who actually knows what the standard says talk to you. Uh, <laughs> with that, thank you uh, very much for having me. I appreciate the invitation and look forward to uh, meeting more of you after this workshop's over. Great. Thank you, Patrick. The last panelist, but certainly the not least, is Winter Horrible. Uh, Winter is president of ITS of Georgia and has been involved in this from the very start for a lot of different, uh, from a lot of different uh, angles and capacities. So Winter, please wrap us up. I'm going to change up a few things, but I am the president of ITS Georgia as of 10 days, officially. Um, so we'll see what the next uh, one year and 50-ish weeks has left in store for us uh, with ITS Georgia. I um, also work for Temple Incorporated. That's who pays the bills at my house and buys my little girl some shoes. She actually got four over four pair of shoes over Christmas because at six she goes through them like crazy. 
let's go to the mission statement and goals. These were done over 15 years ago. I've got some of my, a couple of board members in here. We might want to update these, but what I like about it, it is 15 years ago with that board, it is, I mean, they kept it pretty general. I mean, we can go off of this. So there's a few things you see highlight, highlighted up there that I'll quickly go through right now, get, that, get out the word, provide forums, educate our members, broader ITS constituency, and educate. And I was gonna break this down a little bit more, but I'll start, because experiences is really what explains how you make some of these happen. And experiences that I've had just even recently with, with learning is, is how you make this, you know, how, how you learn. And this is, you know, one thing that I think we can move forward with. What I'm loving in here, and I wanna thank IATL for having me on this panel. I love the people that are up here on this panel. This is a very diverse group. Bringing the traffic engineering world together with the automotive um, industry is something that I hate to say it, it's really never been done. Um, I think we have some automotive industry people up here who have really never seen the inside of a traffic cabinet. Um, and, you know, and at the same time, we all drive vehicles, but we really don't know what they have to go through um, and, and what they have to think about. So having this panel up here, a very, of a, a very diverse panel, is, is definitely something I'm, I'm happy about. So I'm going to try to get through some of this stuff, but our number one goal is to provide forums. So here again, this is, this is the kind of forums we need. We need to learn from one another. One thing, and you know, Shailene is ITS America, I'm ITS Georgia, so we're just more at the local level. And we're kind of focusing more on the local level. We're focusing on the same things, but at the local level. One thing with this forum is if we can find something we agree on, and this was something Shailene and, and Yvonne and stuff we were talking about, is we do need to preserve the spectrum. Everyone up here wants to do that. Um, we're not sure how that's going to happen, so we don't need to slow down. Just like Mike Dudgeon said, we need to keep moving forward. We need to have things in place so that the government kind of waiting around to see what they're doing, FCC regulations and things like that, we can still move forward. We can have this confidence and move forward, but that's going to take everyone up here to do that. Um, and again, we may not agree with everything the, each other says, but if we have that same goal in mind and we can all work together to reach that goal, that's what's going to help us get there and and make safety a priority. I mean, we've, we've thrown stats up there, but guys, one stat that kind of comes to my mind that puts things in, into perspective is on our roadways here in the States, we have a 747 go down every single day. If that truly happened, a 747 going down every single day, something would be done. We've all kind of gotten used to it. It's just the norm. You know, we've got this vision zero in our head and yes, we're supposed to do that, but then you have situations where it's growing at 10%. We have to work together to, to work on that. So with, with forums, we've got to do that. Se second part, educating our members. We have over 100 organization companies who are members of ITS Georgia. Most of you in this room are a member of ITS Georgia, and I thank you so much. And I thank you for what you bring to the table with ITS Georgia. Um, we have a lot of volunteers. Like I said, we have board members. I am a volunteer. Um, and we love to have people, you know, definitely helping us with, with making that happen. Um, we want to provide these forums for these members to share information and use cases. We want a way for competitors to come together and feel safe working on solutions. One aspect, I used to be in the consulting world for almost 10 years. I've now been a product provider, if you want to say. 
I don't like to use the vendor word because I know people kind of stop listening to me when I say that word. But um, I'm a product provider um, and a solutions provider, just like consultants, just like GDOT, they provide solutions. So we're all in here on that same way. One thing where I got to on this side of things, because I've almost been on this side of it for 10 years, thank you Temple for having me for almost 10 years, is I got to work on what Kerry talked about, the Renew Atlanta Smart Corridor, North Avenue Smart Corridor. What was different about that on this side of things, I was used to it on the consultant side of things, but it was a request for information. Kerry chose many different product providers, technology product providers, and we all actually had to work together. That is on this side of things. On the consultant side, you sometimes are teaming together and you're sometimes competing with one another. On the product side, the manufacturing side, a lot of times you're just competing with one another and you're trying to take it all. It was such an awesome proje project program that I got to work on two years ago, two and a half, three years ago now was when the RFI went out this month or last month. Um, so it's been three years ago where what I think made that successful is we had an outcomes-based contract. They, were, they told us what they wanted from us, what we were selected for. And we had a date. We had a ribbon cutting just like today. That date was not moving because the mayor was going to be there. And that was the only time on his calendar that he could make that date. We had a hurricane come through that Monday. And the ribbon cutting, I think, was on Thursday. And it was boots on the ground. We had signal mast arms turned. I mean, we had all kinds of things. But we made that work. As a group of typical competitors, we made that work. And what I hope is that this forum here, this IETL, this lab, allows people who normally would only be competing with one another to come together and find solutions to save lives. So I really do hope, I mean, I think that's kind of some of the vision here in this IETL laboratory. Um, it is for that, and I do hope that is something we can all, we can all work to do. The next thing is um, the value of workshops. One thing I want to talk about, too, is we've, as ITS Georgia, and, and like I said, I have some board members in here, we are trying to get different people. Right now, we have a lot of, we have, we have some public sector, local government, state governments, um, cities, counties, CIDs even here and there. We have some, we have on our private sector side, we have the consultants, we have the manufacturers, distributors who are a part of ITS Georgia as members. I would love to see the automotive, automotive industry. We're working on trying to get some of the local automotive industry, the communications in, industry side, even um, the fire side, um, say, you know, fire police, the road users. I mean, the one thing we did last year at ITS Georgia is we actually had a panel of road users because one thing as engineers, we sometimes forget you have to ask the road user what they're actually wanting. And we just assume as an engineer, we know what they want. So we had a, um, a fire chief up there and all that. And, you know, it, we, we get to hear that. And one thing that they put into perspective as an engineer is they're like, well, we save 60 seconds, you know, with preemption, with a, pre, with a you know, preemption system. And I said, okay, well, that's great. What's 60 seconds as a traffic engineer? Well, hold your breath, winner, for 60 seconds. This is Chief Jackie Gibbs over there. Hold your breath, winner, for 60 seconds because that's the person who's waiting on me on the other side. I don't think I can hold my breath for 60 seconds. So those are things that we've got to put into perspective what the actual road users are seeing so that we can make their life better. And it's not just from congestion side, it's from safety side, it's from many different aspects. And as engineers, unfortunately, we have to take all of that and try to make it work. 
And so I do think we need to be a little bit more open as to bringing in automotive industry companies, telecommunication industry, you know, getting them in there so that we can listen to them and all work together to make that happen. Educating our policymakers is one of those on there. We are working a little bit more on that. Thanks, um, Andrew Heath, for GDOT allowing us to be a part of this innovation day that they're doing. We are That is a focus on the legislative group, and we get to actually explain to them, be there. We're, spons we're sponsoring that as ITS Georgia to basically talk to them about what we're doing, how we can educate them. I also want to shout out to Kate over here with ITE. We do work with other organizations. We have the time task force also that we work with. Um, that's more a little bit on the safety side. So that's where I see ITS Georgia being able to help with this connected vehicle, move it forward, get other people involved, set up forums, have it being open, allowing people to come and educate us. So those are the things that we can all work together, bring in a bunch of different people. And last but not least, I don't, I don't want to um, leave this off. ITS Georgia is also looking forward to partnering with the 5GAA. Um, they will be coming to Atlanta on Thursday, July 3rd. Well, they'll be here for the week, but they are opening it up on Thursday, July 30th. What they have requested is that we, we have at least 100 infrastructure owner operators at this event on, and again, I will say it, July 30th of this year. So we will be, as ITS Georgia, promoting that, partnering with them. May get Kate involved, too, to talk about ITE on that. Um, I would like to provide them with 200, to be honest with you. But they want to be able to speak with people. So that's going to be my goal, is get 200 people in there. And you know, one thing I want to leave us with is I would love for us not to wait until then. Because if we leave here today and only communicate about every six months, then unfortunately, we have wasted our time. I think I would like to suggest some exchanging of cards, um, emails, what have you, so that we can all keep this open forum going so that we can preserve our spectrum. We can utilize, get radios out in the field, deploy that, get the infrastructure ready, do day one applications so that we can start having connected vehicles today, save lives while preparing for Ford and other automotive companies to come in and provide us with safer automobiles and such. Um, Brian, do you want to wrap this up or do you want me to? Just the power of collaboration. And one of the things that's quite interesting, and I'm just so humbled and proud of the group that's assembled here and everybody sharing their time, because this isn't organized by some organization. I like to call this a group of friends. And it just struck me actually while I was wandering around a little bit earlier that this is a group of friends who are actually committing to try and make uh, the world a better place. And, I, and I'm just so proud to be part of that. And then in my role as the director of, of the ITL, this is not some abstract concept. It's not some theory of could be, should be, might be. You're seeing a bunch of equipment. Alex Hainer made some really nice comments about it wherever Dr. Alex Hainer is, uh, about the lab from the University of Alabama. And then uh, it struck me, Mike, that when we were talking earlier about the FCC, and we're all talking about putting in our individual comments, which we're going to do for organizations and NEMA and so forth. And we discussed the idea of let's put in a Georgia comment from the political side, from the, from the Department of Transportation, I've spoken to Russell about this previously, from the private sector side. And that can say, hey guys, this is a community that's trying to make the world a better place. Leave our spectrum alone. I'm not sure I want to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, uh, this is a fabulous panel and, and uh, this place is all about collaboration. 
from all the different perspectives and disciplines, and I can't think of a better group of perspectives and panelists than these to, to be the first up kickoff for this important, powerful, robust place for collaboration. So please help me thank our panelists.